Buenos días, buenos días. ¿Cómo estamos, chicas, chicos, they, them? How is it going? We are so excited. We have our first guest ever, 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 ever. I know that people have been wanting to go on our podcast, and for whatever reason, Rita, we never uh, have really like gone for it. But here we are, our first guest. Cuéntanos, Rita. Woohoo! Yeah, today we have Lauren Ornelas, and we are so excited to have her, not just because of who she is, which everyone will get to hear in just a second, uh, but also because Lauren has just moved to the county where we live here in San Luis Obispo County in Central Coast of California, and I honestly just love, love, love when there are fresh eyes looking at our community and like getting that first take on what they're feeling. So I'm really excited to also go into that um, because I feel like I've been living here in Slow County for 12 years now. And I still notice a few things that are just odd to me, but I'm so deep into the work that sometimes I just don't even realize the things that shouldn't be happening that are happening or the things that I just don't appreciate. So I'm really, really glad to hear from Lauren. Um, Lauren, we are not gonna butcher your intro um, of your organization and of yourself. So uh, we're gonna make some space for you to tell us about yourself and the organization that you work with, which is Food Empowerment Project. Is that right? Yes. Well, and thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And admittedly, I'm super excited to live in San Luis Obispo. Uh, it's just very beautiful here. I will say that straight off. Um, so I'm actually originally from Texas. Um, and, um, you know, I've moved around quite a bit, but after, um, coming to California, I kind of felt like it was home. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel that way, obviously, mostly because it's beautiful, but also the politics mm -hmm. are much more in line with my, <laughs> with my belief system. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I like to sometimes say I left Texas as quickly as I could. And I always feel bad saying that because that's my indigenous homeland as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there are things that I absolutely loved about it. I loved um, being Hicanics. I loved my community, you know, uh, just being everywhere. And I find California a bit more segregated. Um, but um, so, yeah, so I, I, uh, I guess my my start into activism other than like um, anti-war things was um, I actually, well, at a very young age, I went vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were getting a divorce when I was like four mm -hmm. and I would see the cows in Texas and I would think I don't want to be responsible for separating that family. I would think what it would be like for the baby cow to not have their mom or the mom not to have their baby. And I just thought, I don't want to be responsible for separating that family because I knew what it was like to have my family. My mom had to work. And so she had to drop me off, you know, at places for people to take care of me. And so my mom raised my sisters and I by herself um, without a college education. So many times she had to work two jobs. Um, but I went vegetarian when I was um, really little and in elementary school. I remember being in line and them saying, um, do you want meat on your enchiladas? And me saying no. And them saying, are you a vegetarian? And me thinking they said veterinarian. And I was like, no, how I'm little. How can I take care of dogs and cats? You know, um, so I didn't even know, you know, this is the 70s in Texas. So I did not know what the word vegetarian meant at all. And so um, eventually, um, you know, 
we didn't have money for me to stick with being vegetarian. Um, we had to eat what people gave us, you know, bags from the church or whatever. And so I couldn't stick with being vegetarian. And finally, in in high school, um, by this time in high school, I've learned about the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. And I'm doing what I can. You know, I'm like not buying Coca-Cola and products that are still vested in, in apartheid. Um, but my mom also raised me with an understanding of the grape boycott. And so my family's boycotting grapes for farm worker reasons. Um, so and by the time I got to high school, I was like, I'm going to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. I'm not eating another animal. And so I eventually went vegetarian and then I went vegan in 1988. Um, and, you know, kind of at that point in time, I started just dedicating my life to animal rights. I went to college to do animal rights. It was pretty much what I did. But in the 90s, when um, the Gulf War broke out, I actually froze my animal rights group and started doing a peace group. Um, where we talked to, you know, Vietnam vets for peace, where we had people from Kuwait come in and talk about things. So, so, so backtracking a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was, I was vegetarian too, for, awesome. for I think five and a half years. And I'm sure you got this too, is how can uh, a Latina woman be vegetarian? How can you be vegetarian with, with the culture, with, so many things that like Mexican plus vegan or vegetarian is impossible. People have that conception. How were you navigating that in at such a young age? Um, I, I don't know if people were asking you these things or, you know, maybe your mom was telling you, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I definitely heard that probably, I would say, ironically, it was not so much when I was in high school as much as maybe in college and even coming to California. Um, I, I think that one of the interesting things is that one is that for me, Mexican culture is beyond that. I actually look at Mexican food as being as being one of the easiest types of foods to be vegan because of the rice and beans, the avocados, the, the you know, corn tortillas and things like that. Um, but as I've learned as well is, you know, like looking at why is it that so many of our people, indigenous people, many of us are both um, indigenous Mexicans. Um, why is it that we are what a lot of people term lactose intolerant? Why is that? And Food Empowerment Project, we've kind of flipped that and said, you know, we aren't lactose intolerant. We're what we're what we call lactose normal, because one, there's nothing natural about consuming the milk of a, another species. And two, dairy is actually a legacy of colonization. So Columbus brought the cows over on his second voyage. Mm. So my indigenous ancestors were not consuming cow's milk. They weren't consuming goat milk. In fact, we weren't eating cows or goats at the time because that's what that's what colonization brought to our lands. And so I'm not saying by any means, trust me, that our indigenous ancestors were vegan because they weren't. They ate ants, they ate eggs. You know, there were other animals they ate, but our diets certainly weren't so reliant upon consuming animals at the time. And so I always kind of look back to that as well as is talking about that, um, is talking about colonization and how it impacted our ancestors, but also how, how easy it is to veganize our foods. I mean, we created, um, we have a website called Vegan Mexican Food. Um, it's in English and in Spanish, and we have a recipe booklet as well. And it kind of goes through a whole bunch of recipes, like with nopales and things like that, that, you know, that's a lot of what we ate. 
And so, you know, for me, I kind of go back to one being compassionate. I feel like almost every survey I've ever seen done to people of our community about um, compassion towards animals, like about animal testing or cosmetics testing and things like that. We always lean on, no, no, we shouldn't be doing that to animals. And so we are such a compassionate people and our culture is more than the animal consumption part. It's about the flavors. It's about our sauces. You know, it's about all these other things more than it is about the animal product part of it. Yeah. And it really hit me when you said that when you were growing up too, like your, your family just couldn't afford for you to be vegetarian. And I, I agree that, you know, I'm very into like choice and uh, realizing that when we take choice away from someone, whatever that, and whatever issue that is, um, when we take choice away, we are not only denying something to that specific individual, but really denying more things to other individuals as well. And, you know, to, to even think about the fact that eating that like being vegetarian is more expensive um how do how did you navigate through that and is your organization currently advocating or doing something around uh, that fact or has have things changed since you were little in that regard it's a good question I don't know how much has changed since I was younger um because I think in the beginning, I was just like, I'm vegan for the animals. I don't care. I'll eat really bad food all the time. And I'm like, oh, vegetables, you know, I was always like, I'm vegan. There's no vegetable in vegan. Um, and so now I'm like, oh, need to eat, you know, need to be healthier. <laughs> and um, so our organization, I mean, what we do is one, I'm always very clear to say, you know, a lot of vegans will say things like it's easy to go vegan. And we're always kind of like, yeah, no, it's not. And <laughs> we need to stop saying that because yeah. it doesn't help anything. Yeah. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't help, you know, we're, we're not being truthful mm -hmm. um, about how it is for every community. Mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of work in impacted communities where um, we, in, something we're interested in doing in um, the county here as well. Um, mm -hmm. But it's something we've done in Santa Clara County. We did it in Vallejo um, in the North Bay. And basically what we do is we do full assessments on the availability of healthy foods, um, you know, uh, produce, but we do it based on who's in the community. So in San Jose, Santa Clara, a lot of it was Mexican food, but in Vallejo, it was Filipinx, Latinx, and Black community. So we had to adjust our survey tool, right? And so when we were doing our work in Vallejo, one of the things we really pushed for in terms of lack of access to healthy foods or fighting food apartheid is um, worker-owned cooperatives so that the money stays in the community. It's not going off to Walmart in Arkansas. The money stays in the community, helps that community to thrive. And when we were working on that in Vallejo, you know, a lot of the community members were like, Lauren, is this gonna, is this co-op going to have to be vegan? And I'm like, look, the co-op is yours. You decide what you want it to be. We will be back here to tell you why we think you should be vegan, but <laughs> it is going to be up to you. Right. And again, like you were saying, it's about the choice. We talk about eating your ethics. You know, you got to figure out if what you're putting in your mouth and what you're putting in your body is something you're comfortable with and you believe in or not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the communities we worked in, they they knew they should be eating healthier. You know, we worked with a Black Panther Party, one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party on our work in Vallejo. And I had to let him know, like, hey, look, we're a vegan group. This is how we're going to be going about it. And he was like, ah, we should probably be vegan anyway. I don't have a problem with it. You know, and all the groups we worked with there were like, yeah, no, it's good. 
you know, like they got it. I mean, what's, what's lacking in our communities isn't the bacon. It's not the milk. It's the fresh fruits and vegetables that are missing. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for California for being, you know, one of the states that provides all of those type of produce out to the entire country to think that there's a lack of a variety and options and just access to communities Mm -hmm. that for sure brings on topics of discrimination and you know historical um redlining etc um i know that your organization sees food as a tool for social change and social and political change can you expand a little bit more on that what does that mean to your organization Sure. Well, I think that a lot of my, you know, again, since I founded the organization, a lot of it comes from my thoughts and my lived experiences. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who, you know, one of the things, you know, in working on anti-apartheid movement in South Africa was, you know, I'm in high school, what can I really do? Right. And so, you know, there's a book, you know, that talked about the companies that were still in um, South Africa and a lot of it was food. And so I knew that by simply not consuming that food, I was not supporting the apartheid regime. Growing up with a grape boycott, I knew that farm workers were saying, don't eat grapes as a means in which to help our cause. Mm. I know that even looking back on history, if I look at England, you know, they would, um, during the abolitionist movement there, you know, the women stopped using sugar in their tea as a way to say we oppose enslaving people um, for sugar. The Black Panther Party showed us as well with their free breakfast program, how powerful food was as a tool to gather community and also to make sure that we supported our own communities, right? That they fed the kids. So the kid, the free breakfast program that they started, you know, that they fed the kids as a way for them to have a better start to the day to help their education, to kind of break the cycle of poverty, because the better they did in school, the better that they were going to do in life. And so they gave them you know, food. And again, we know that the USDA in the US started the free lunch program here to to really um, squash the free breakfast program. It's actually inspired by the free breakfast program started by the Black Panther Party. So, so many, and you look at things like the LGBTQ movement with boycotting certain beer companies. Now, I know we've seen an, a horrific blowback to that recently, but food has been used as a tool to create social change. And so that's how we're doing it. We're looking at it and we're saying, look, for those of us who have the privilege, we eat one or more than one time a day. Each time that we eat, we have the ability to say not only what our beliefs are, but we have the ability to say something about the world around us. Mm -hmm. And so we see those opportunities as helping to create change locally and globally. You said so much. I just feel like it's just... (laughs) <laughs> so many levels, so many levels of of um, acknowledging of history of things that have been done in the past. And um, I always love hearing that example of the Black Panthers free breakfast because we are in California and that happened in Oakland, not too far from from Paso Roble. So and, yeah. and it comes to show that we have to be very cautious of what type of information we take in because when we hear a lot of the black panther movement depending on who you're hearing it from um uh it's either a positive thing or a negative thing but here we see an example of the black panthers doing something transformational that we're still seeing it today so question for you um you know i'm i'm hearing what you're saying you know saying uh 
you're working in communities with the black community, Latinx community, Filipino community, and they're saying, oh, okay, we, we really should be vegan. Um, what are those hurdles, which you touched on, which was that it's expensive, but like, why, why is it expensive? Well, one of the biggest reasons why it's expensive is because a lot of subsidies go to the dairy industry and the meat industry. And so a lot of that is funded by taxpayers. So they cost less. Mm. I mean, that's pretty much the honest reason is that it costs less because it's it's subsidized by the U.S. government and our broccoli farmers and, you know, all of them, they aren't exactly subsidized in the same way. Mm. Um I think that that if you look at the the work that we do, I would I would pull it back another layer. Instead of looking at it broadly, I would look at it and say it's also the fact that when you're fighting food apartheid in the communities that we've worked in, you have communities who are um, living in what people call food deserts. We don't call them food deserts. Um, we call it food apartheid because it's so much more than just proximity. I mean, the most important thing to acknowledge is that it's race-based. It's black, brown, indigenous people primarily who lack access to healthy foods. So if you're living in one of these areas, the, the majority of places in our research, at least, that you're going to be getting your food from is going to be groceries. I'm sorry, not grocery store, is going to be convenience stores and liquor stores and maybe gas stations. And so when you're getting your food from these types of areas, you have a lot of different things. One is that it's going to be more expensive in, in total because they're buying in smaller amounts. So it's costing them more money to buy it. You also have um, a lot of them don't have produce. If they do have produce, like let's say if you've ever been to a gas station and they have like a little basket of bananas or apples there, a lot of times they don't have the prices on them. So the person who's doing the sales can determine how much they want to charge each individual. They don't have to be a solid price. So they could change the price for whoever's there. It also means that people who don't speak English are at an automatic disadvantage if they have to ask how much it costs. So prices are higher for people than say buying at a grocery store where they're buying more. So it's cheaper for them. They're having to get their food from areas where there just aren't there's still not a lot of options for them. So the food prices are more expensive for them. Plus, if you're living in one of these communities, you may have to take several buses in order to go and get fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, which makes it even harder for you. Um, and that's not to say overwhelmingly, some vegan food is definitely, you know, pricier, you know, but that's also because it's not subsidized. And I did a quick search of like what states produce the most amount of meat. And I'm going to go through them and you guys let me know if you think there's something in common. But top states are Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, Kansas, Montana, Kentucky, North Dakota, and Iowa. And a quick search on the senators. <laughs> is this a party line type of issue? What is going on? I'm just like shocked to see these states all together. Yeah, like Texas and Oklahoma is definitely cows. North Carolina and Iowa, they're killing pigs. And, and let me focus on something too, since I'm bringing up those two things, is that you also have higher rates of environmental racism caused by animal production. 
So in North Carolina, where you have a lot of pig farms, you have black and indigenous people who are living there and they're living close to these facilities and they suffer from nosebleeds. They suffer from um, respiratory problems, headaches. They can't have their windows open in the summertime and they have um, their property values are worthless. And if we look here in California, we know who is predominantly in the Central Valley. The Latinx community is predominantly in the Central Valley where we have, we're the number one dairy producing state. And we have some of the highest rates of asthma in the communities. Right now we're fighting an effort by PG&E to put a biodigester in Merced, which is already a community impacted by environmental racism because of the dairy industry. They're trying to increase ratepayers. They're trying to have us pay more money for PG&E to help pay for a biodigester in Merced, which is going to increase the number of cows in the area, which is going to increase pollution for the people who are living there. Because they're not going to be putting these things near where rich people live, right? We know, like you were mentioning, redlining. I mean, what they're going to be putting in our communities is going to be um, the stuff that's not really great for our health. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the thing that we always end up getting to is that, you know, all these social issues are just stacked on the same groups of people and a lot of times by the same perpetrators, right? Like. I was um, at one time at a meeting where a labor union leader, leader was saying, you know, it's not just that labor should be supporting the climate movement because we want to, you know, take care of our planet. Yeah, that's true. But also when, and this just opened my eyes to seeing the issues in, in a different way, this labor leader said they, the companies that are more likely to not follow environmental protections are also most likely to not follow labor uh, contracts or even hire um, unionized type of, of workers. So, and that was like exactly so true. Like the same companies that you know are most likely lobbying to make meat. Uh, cheaper and get more subsidy subsidies around it are most likely to also not being following environmental rules not paying you know uh, good wages potentially using child labor um exploiting yep. farm workers yeah so yep. uh no i mean the unions you know unfortunately the unions environmentalists have been pit to get pit against each other for too long and there's so many more Similarities. We work with a lot of unions right now because we have a campaign against Amy's Kitchen, which makes a lot of frozen and canned vegetarian and vegan meals. But we have a campaign against them because of their treatment of their workers. You know, and um, we get a lot of heat about that because we're a vegan group and we should just be supporting them. But we're like, not if the workers are treated bad, you know, and we've seen how, you know, we work with the Teamsters and we work with Unite Here. You know, and we know historically that the unions environmentalists are pitted against each other, things like oil refineries, when in fact the workers are also the ones, they and faceline, fence line communities are the ones most impacted by the pollutants. Yeah. You know, it's just, anyway, and a whole nother thing I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. And, and yeah, that's just like the pattern of being pitted against each other to focus on that, those made up. Um, issues or contradictions when in fact the issue is much bigger and it's just taking our, our, our attention away. Exactly. 
So I have a question. You're such a wealth of information and knowledge. Um, in the pockets of areas that you've focused your efforts, are you seeing organized efforts coming from community members that are being affected directly? Are they feeling empowered to organize, speak up, or things like that? I think each community is different. Um, but definitely, um, I, I'm think, I, I think of them as I say this, you know, definitely some of them. I mean, they're, you know, we work with a woman named Cookie in, in Vallejo, who is like a freaking powerhouse. I mean, she's like out there on everything, you know, and <clears throat> she stands with us. We have a campaign against Safeway for restricting grocery stores in the communities. She's right there. She's out there talking about, you know, why her children, when they walk to school, have to walk across the highway. You know, it's like the powerhouses that are doing this work are doing so much. You know what I mean? When you're talking about impacted communities, they have so many things in their community they're fighting against. I think that when I look sometimes at our communities, um, sometimes I worry, I shouldn't say worry. I will be honest. I don't know how to phrase this. We're, we're all Latinas. So I will be honest, but sometimes I worry that our community is inhibited because of language barriers. Mm. Um, so the strength and the power of what we say gets reduced mm. because so much that when you're communicating with legislators and when you're communicating with the powers that be, right. they're not having the translations there. It's all in English. And so therefore, you know, I don't, I've traveled, you know, I'm not bilingual. Sorry, colonization in Tejas, you know, screw that up for me. Um, I shouldn't say colonization. I should say straight up racism. Um, but, you know, if I go to Italy or something like that, I'm not my boisterous self because I don't speak the language, yeah. you know. And if people are feeling that way, but they're not able to communicate that way because because city council meetings are in English or, you know, um, different meetings are in, in their language, it's harder for them. Um, but where we are seeing a lot of powerhouses in the indigenous communities, meaning the indigenous communities from Oaxaca, um, who are freaking amazing powerhouses. Um, and we have one of them in the Santa Barbara County, not that far from here, um, that does a lot of good work as well. And we worked with um, another group in Sonoma County, but those indigenous farm workers are just, they are powerhouses in terms of, of, of working to change things for, for themselves. Wow. I, I just love what you just said, because yeah, I mean, language barriers have been something that Yesenia has been working on for so mm -hmm. long in the community of North County, which has based on a recent uh, indigenous study has, I believe like more than 80% of our um, indigenous people living in the County. Right. And so language access is huge. And I love that you um, dove into it so briefly, but also so accurately of, yeah, we cannot have, it's not the same. If Even if you had these like amazing voice and thoughts and which the community has already, right? Yes. Especially because they are so close to their um, indigenous roots and they are indigenous and, and they have all of that, not only knowledge, but power within them so naturally. But if we don't have systems that can listen to their voice as is, then even if we have a translator, honestly, right? Like the power does not mm -hmm. get translated. That's just yep. um, 
things that you just can just translate. And a lot of times the translator has like this neutral voice too that brings mm -hmm. down that power and, and that sometimes rage or emotion. So that is and so if they're translating from Mixteco to Spanish and then Spanish to English, <laughs> you got a whole nother range there. Oh, yeah. Uh, you just have inspired me so much. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all of this. Now, how can people uh, connect with you, with your organization? What are you the most excited about right now? What do you think people should be um, paying attention if they're listening to this episode? Um, well, they can. our website is foodispower.org, which is fully in English and in Spanish. Y'all happy, happy to know. <laughs> I want to reach out to my community. So everything's in English and in Spanish. Um, we also, so that's our main website. We have vegan mech. Mexicanfood.com in English and Spanish, vegan Filipino food in English and Tagalog. We have vegan Lao food in English and in Lao. Mm -hmm. And then we have vegan Chinese food, which we just came out with in English and in Simplified Chinese. Mm -hmm. um, so we're also on Instagram, threads, Facebook, and TikTok and LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. I don't know how to do it, but we have an amazing youth advocacy um, person who is uh, actually lives in Kentucky. And um, she keeps everybody informed on like, if you want to eat vegan in college, some cheap, cheap hacks to do in your dorm room. Um, you know, I think that for, for the takeaway from this, I think that I, I always want to make sure that people, you know, I used to work on um, the trouble with uh, like the electronics industry and the solar industry when we look at um, the chemicals and worker issues, environmental issues. And with that, I mean, we were talking about something that like you, you know, you buy one laptop and hopefully it lasts you years. But when you look at something like food, we do have an opportunity if we have the privilege of eating more than one time a day, several times a day to make sure that what we're eating reflects our ethics. Mm -hmm. And so we really want people to look at like, there's a whole bunch more we could talk about bananas, coffee, you know, like tea, you know, that we could talk about, but trying to make sure that, that for those of us with the privilege, right. And I acknowledge that not everybody has this privilege, mm -hmm. but for those of us that have this privilege, we have a responsibility. I feel like to be more informed and to make choices that are better, not only for ourselves, but for the planet, but also other beings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, thinking about what you put in your mouth, thinking about not only, you know, like we're always really careful to say, it's not just about our individual choices, it's about our collective voices. So making sure that we're saying, okay, this is what we decide to put in our body, but it doesn't stop there. If the coalition of Immokalee workers in Florida are saying, this is what we need you to do to support farm workers. We wanna make sure that everybody is, is listening to the Immokalee workers and telling the corporations that they're asking people to address what it is. So like boycott Wendy's, okay, Wendy's, you know, I'm not buying from you because I support farm worker justice. I support the coalition of Immokalee workers. So we don't leave it there. I'm not buying Amy's because I support the workers at Amy's Kitchen who are predominantly Latinx. Um, you know, so we make our voices heard, but we don't just, but we, it's a responsibility. It's a sincere responsibility um, to take care of everybody, in my opinion. And not everybody has that privilege, but those of us who do need to be mindful of that. What would be three tips for someone to start transitioning or introducing more vegan food? Uh, my first tip would be is to give up the thing you don't even like. <laughs> if you don't like eating something, then give that up first. You know, I think that that's the easiest thing to do because you want to be successful. 
So I would never start with the thing that you love the most. And then maybe the thing you love the most is um, ice cream. Start trying some of the different ice creams that are out there. And I will tell you, I'm happy to be a resource because it's not all good. <laughs> like, I'll be honest. Like, I'm not going to be one of the, you know, when I was in high school, I was like, oh, this is so good. And the cheese tasted like plastic, you know, and I could just <laughs> peel it off, you know. Yeah, I, I'm over those days now. You know, it doesn't help anybody. Um, so I think that trying different things as well. Um, so get, get rid of what you don't like already. Try, um, try whatever it is, try different forms. And I think just being patient with yourself. I mean, just be kind to yourself. You know, it's, it's, it may take a while. It may be something that you're like, after learning, you're like, whoa, I did not know this is what was happening. I'm done. Um, which is kind of how, you know, I, when I went vegetarian, I was vegetarian. And then when I went vegan, it was just like, I can't, you know, my sisters were happy because I quit wearing leather. And so they got my, my shoes and my belts and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I think that just reminding yourself, it's for me, at least it was so much more about compassion. It's about, there's so much suffering going on in the world. If this mm-hmm. is one way that I can lessen some suffering in the world, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the importance of like focus, activism, um, the fact that you, you know, by now have, used your entire life to advocate for this and work on this and organize. Um, and now we just have the, the privilege of having you in our county. How are you liking it? Um, how are you seeing seeing the, the county context? Well, it's beautiful. I, I will keep saying that because it's just so beautiful here. I mean, and I've never lived so close to the ocean in my life. Mm-hmm. And to see sea otters like in the wild, just like hanging out, holding paws is like, Oh my God, like in Morro Bay, it's just incredible. Um, I would say that I find overall people to be very friendly, very, very nice. Um, the one, my husband, so I, my husband is white. Um, so we do this thing sometimes. I'm such a, all right, I'm me. I'll just put it that way. So I don't have to cuss, but like, sometimes like We'll do this thing where I'll walk into a store and nobody will say anything to me. And then he walks into the store and they're like, good afternoon. And I'm like, we're not buying anything here. (laughs) (laughs) So that has happened, but primarily more in like the touristy areas, Mm -hmm. I would say. I'm like, I guess I don't look like I can afford much. I don't know. Um, I I do find it to be a bit... um, I, I like, you know, I went to the, the race uh, matters event. Cause I was like, I need to feel, <laughs> I need to feel people of color. I need to feel BIPOC, you know, like, where are we? Um, and so I do feel that sometimes. Um, and, and Rita, I like love. Cause you're like, I see you. And I'm like, yeah, like we're here. <laughs> like I, I see. And actually I look at all, cause I follow on social media and I'm like, there she is. There she is. Okay, cool. Like we're doing things, you know? And so um, I think it's, um, I feel, I was just explaining this cause members of my team, you know, there's two of us that are Latina, two of us that are black. Um, one of my other team, he's a white guy. He lives here too. And I was trying to tell, cause my colleague lives in North Carolina and she's black and she's, I'm like, okay, so I'm telling you. And I'm like, I feel like, cause there's so few of us though. I feel like you'll see us all the time at the same things. Right. Yeah. Um, I found Latinos outdoors. I like to hike. So I was super excited about that. Um, so I feel like we're there. It's just, we're not everywhere if that makes sense. But I think it's, that's a California yeah. thing to some extent. 
Yeah, and I think um, there's definitely an issue of, of representation um, and diversity in here in Slow County that we're working on. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's definitely a marathon. And yeah, huge shout out to Race Matters and their Braiding Water series because they really put um, work um, specifically for the Black community, but I think BIPOC, the BIPOC community really feels also represented and seeing um, yeah. the event. So thank you so much, Laura, for being with us. We have learned so much from you today. And I really love the concepts um, that you have around um, access, um, justice, um, using food as for political change. Yeah. Yeah. And we're excited to see you in the community and for you to feel more welcomed and for you to see more pockets of brown people because there's a lot of brown people mm-hmm. um, in North County, at least. <laughs> North County. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go up there more for sure. I know. And also, if anybody's interested in working on looking at the county and looking at their, if there is a discrepancy on access to healthy food for our communities, we would love to do that work here. We don't, we follow environmental justice principles. So we won't just come in and be like, we're doing this work here. We want to make sure we've got partners who are interested in the information as well. And to say like, yeah, certain portions of our population, which are probably a lot indigenous Mm -hmm. and brown, um, don't have the same access to healthy foods as some of the wider areas do. And so if anybody's interested in doing that work, we'd love to do that work together. That's awesome. Well, um, if anyone's interested, go to foodispower.org, get in touch, and we'll be following your work for sure, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having the podcast, y'all. It's so much fun. Yes. <laughs> Bye, Lauren. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to our first speaker. That was amazing. So much good stuff. So much learning awareness that we need to have in our yeah. privilege yeah where we're at for those that have it and can make those changes yeah. uh, because it is where it's related to usage of water which is a big topic here in California yeah um, as well as um toxins that are correlated to health yeah so much stuff, so much stuff. Yeah. And I was thinking when Laura was saying that you, you know, choose what you don't like. Like, I honestly don't like red meat. Like, I don't like, I don't like beef, honestly. Like, it's not something that I crave. And even when I eat it, I'm like feeling like the blood still there. And it's like, ah. Um, How are you doing, Yesenia? We didn't do a chicken earlier. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a busy time. We have our 10th anniversary of our breast cancer event coming up and it's just that is the exhale yes, that is exhale in 10 years in the community how did this happen how um, did this happen, this happen? Time, time flies when you're having fun so it's just work and getting things organized and trying new things and moving into a new venue so it's just really great work but there's a lot of excitement I think it this this month which is October breast cancer awareness month um, means something very special to survivors of breast cancer. So it's exciting to see them light up and use their lived experience to advocate for women, uh, especially once again, black and brown women, indigenous women, white BIPOC women um, uh, in the forefront of seeing those discrepancies of accessibility to healthcare. Once again, the language barrier, which was Mm -hmm. talked on um, as well as, 
economic factors and legal status, which could put a lot of fear mongering into what a woman has access to. Oh my gosh, so many layers, language, economic, health, access to healthcare, legal status. Ah, How are you doing? Um, it's been heavy, um, you know, following what's happening. And I feel so ignorant um, um, because I, I was not as aware as I should have been around what, was, what has been happening in Palestine. And again, communities are being uh, put one against the other when in reality the issue is it's a different issue and it's a bigger issue and it's about humanity where we put our resources and our funding you know and who's lobbying for what um that's where so I think because a lot of people can resonate with what you just said mm-hmm. my question to you is if if you are and the and, it, and it's fine if you're not because I think sometimes especially when we're seeing um, so many images and videos. Mm -hmm. Um, We also need the time to grieve and digest such heaviness. How are you taking care of yourself if you are? And it's okay if you're just being present and just grieving and going through it. I think I am, honestly. I don't think I've gotten to the point of um, taking care of myself. I, I mean, work has been busy and I feel like I'm watching the news in the morning until I go to bed and I fall asleep watching the news. And it's just, it's, I probably should stop, but at the same time, I don't want to look away. Um, So I don't know. I'm calling, that's, this is how I'm taking care of myself. I'm calling my representatives every single day. I'm calling the White House. I'm calling my senators. I'm calling my Congress members. um, And I'm trying to figure out if, at the state level, uh, my assembly members and state senators have any um, impact. Um, I haven't figured that out yet. So I'm still focusing on senators, Congress members and the White House. And I'm calling every single day, even if their voicemail is full, I find a different number and I call. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the way that I want to keep staying saying of like, if I can just uh, fill up those voicemails till like the intern is like, oh my gosh, this, this lady. <laughs> I really, I'm really going for it. So yeah. So if everyone, anyone's listening and you're just like in your, inside your brain, like I have been for so long, um, just call, put it on your representatives. <laughs> Have them feel your pain, honestly, because um, I think at least I'm asking for people to see the humanity in other people. Oh, man. Um, Is there any positive news? You know, I feel like I was talking about this with a friend yesterday, and I was like, as horrible as things can get, um, I think that there's a new, like the new generations are using the tools that are available to be more aware of issues happening across the world. And I don't think we've gotten there to a point where not only are we taking in the information and feeling the emotions, but learning how to use the tools that we have for actual change. I don't think we're there yet, but I just found out that my kid is part of a generation called Alpha. You know, like we have millennials, Gen X. Yeah. Yeah. The new generations, I think if you were born after... 2010 or something you are generation alpha which means that we're starting with the alphabet all over again Mm -hmm. and that just gave me so much hope 
to think of my kid as being like this you let's just start over let's literally start over we're a new generation we're alpha and we are gonna do things differently and so now I'm like more focused on making sure that he really grows the empathy muscles um so I can put that human out there that has like empathy for others so I'm really glad you say that because I think in a time where um we can look at international issues we can look at national issues we can look at state issues county issues we can look at local issues and even local issues can be overwhelming Mm -hmm. Um, I think you just said something so powerful that in a time where everything can be overwhelming and feel like you're so powerless for those that have children or those that have young children even teenagers right around them we can pour onto them we -hmm. can pour onto them compassion we can pour onto them hope we can pour onto them inspiration we can pour onto them to say um you know uh just what we were talking about let's let's have let's be vegan three times a week right we don't have to eat meat every single day yeah let's go vegan on breakfast just breakfast the rest of it you can eat whatever you want um you know saying hey you know like um, when you're throwing that birthday party, if you, I mean, just throwing out ideas, do an assessment. Who, yeah. who are you missing at the birthday party? Who can we invite to the birthday party? An assessment of um, recognizing the holiday season is coming up. This is a perfect time to introduce children um, to serving the homeless and understanding why why that exists and, and understanding those concepts. I do this all the time with my niece um, because I, I think especially for um, immigrant families, um, I know it was really important for my parents because they immigrated to this country that their kids had an understanding of appreciation and humbleness yeah. and having a connection to community, having a connection of uh, compassion because they themselves, when they immigrated to this country, they had they had multiple acts of kindness, just how they had acts of racism. They yeah. also had acts of kindness, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'll never forget this. My dad, uh, and, and as I get older, I appreciate hearing these stories. My dad was sharing a story that they had, um, and it's and this is why I love my town because I could literally drive by right now and show you exactly the location of where this where this happened. Um, but my dad was telling a story to a friend of when they first uh, were able to move out. Wait, they, uh, my parents. Um, and my sister and, and I, and they were finally able to get their own place here, here in Paso, um, their landlord would come and pick up rents. And so the landlord came a few times to pick up the rents and po- she must've poked her, her, herself in the, in the little apartment and noticed that there was no furniture. And she goes, why don't you have furniture? He goes, Oh no, no, just, you know, we're just, as long as we're paying the rent, we're good. And she goes, you know what? I'm remodeling my house. I'm going to bring all of the furniture that I don't need anymore. And I'm going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And it's acts of kindness like that, that even if it's just a dollar, even if it's just a smile, even if it's just, you know, an act of kindness, I think that is where our power lies. Yeah. That. And I think we've missed humanity on those small acts of kindness. You don't need to be an Oprah Winfrey. You yeah. don't need to be a Bill Gates. You don't, you don't need, um, uh, you know, to give big acts of kindness. And I think as we're approaching the holiday season, 
let's let's not let's not make it about big acts of kind of of monetary you know um gestures let's make it about acts of kindness that money can't buy in that sense because i feel like a lot of times too read that we're not able to do acts of kindness because we correlate it to money yeah money driven that is so true yeah and uh, as you mentioned the holiday season is coming so checking or on your lgbtqia plus friends because a lot of them are having to deal with families that not are always supportive in the ways that that they need to be supported and I know friends who and people around me who are just not going to have that support and don't even want to go visit family and they're really relying on their community where they live and um, their friends so open your doors I completely agree completely agree you can't open their doors you know um go drop off some food day of, you know, like mm-hmm. we, there's always so much food and abundance of food, go mm-hmm. drop off a plate. Um, yeah. Check in with your friends, go, go volunteer, take the kids with you. And I think that's really powerful Rita. And I think we, in an overwhelming time where it just feels kind of like we're kind of stuck. Yeah. Um, maybe our shift should be investing in the younger generation should be investing in the alpha generation to be like you know what just because we grew up like this doesn't mean that we have to pass that on to that generational trauma to that generational institutionalized um racism right so that that really makes me very hopeful Rita yeah so so if you are um watching news and you're you know wishing that humanity was just different um be that be 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 that where you live don't cut people off on the road help someone carry their groceries if they need need it donate volunteer mm-hmm. uh, just be nice and kind because that that makes a huge difference for sure and turn off the news guys turn it off i i know that sounds real i know that's that's a lot of privilege to yeah. say turn off the news but please, just please take care of yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of news. I I also feel our generation overly consumes news because yeah. it's on Facebook, Twitter, yeah. the news, yeah. um, you know, Instagram. There's you on your cell phone, on your Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> so just just shut it down. Make sure you carve out some time for yourself. Um, just as there's a lot of things to worry about. And it's a marathon, right? Yes, it's a marathon. Well, we'll leave it there. It was a good episode. I really like having Laura in the guest. So thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you hopefully very soon. Just saying.